Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to look at a group of scriptures. We've been in this series called Marriage Matters. And we've been looking at the issue that marriage matters. We live in a time and we live in a, in, in a culture that no longer honors marriage, no longer believes marriage really matters. And so there's a lot of stuff being said. There's been a lot of definitions that have been given. And so I thought it'd be a good idea for us just to open up his word and look together about what this issue of marriage is really all about and what is God's word says about it. Now, when you look at Ephesians 5, 22 through 31, you find that it's the biggest and the largest group of scripture together that talks about marriage in the New Testament. And so the writer is Paul, and he begins talking about marriage, and he talks about the roles of marriage and all of these other things. And so, so today, we're going to look at this issue that it takes God. In other words, it takes God to have a marriage the way that God intended marriage to be. It takes God to have a successful marriage that it takes depending on him and all of those other things. So we're going to look at the roles of marriage today. And then then Father's Day, we'll take a little bit of a break. And then the 23rd, we're going to come back and and I'm going to talk to you about how this fleshes out in Scripture. Now listen, when when you get to this, there's a lot of pastors, a lot of my pastor friends that when they get to the part about how you flesh this out and how you live this out, they like bring their wife up and they kind of talk about submission and roles and everything. I got one word for that, risky. Uh, so, so I will not be doing that. So, so we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah's life. Abraham was a really strong leader and, and Sarah was a strong woman and, and, and uh, they were both leaders in their own right. And so on June the 23rd, we're going to come back and we're going to look at how it fleshes out. Well, today we're going to look at this issue of roles as we get going. And remember, if you were with us last week, you realized and you learned that men communicate differently than women. Women communicate differently than men. Men communicate facts. Women communicate feelings. And so if you missed last week, and listen, I very rarely do this, I would encourage you highly to go back and to grab and look online, watch that sermon, uh, because it's really the foundation of where we're going the next few weeks together when we look at this issue of marriage matters. So here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Scripture says concerning marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. So he goes, Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself is its Savior. So listen, man, I know this. Man, don't shut down on me. I mean, I know a lot of times when we start using words respect and submit that a lot of times we have a habit just kind of just, just shutting down. And listen, I promise you this morning, depending on where you get your worldview, if you have a, if you have a secular worldview, then you're going to have some difficulty with some of the things that God's Word says this morning. If you have a biblical worldview, you're going you're gonna to understand this. And so I would just ask you this morning, let's get all the way through this and let's understand what the writer is really trying to convey through these instructions. So he goes on and he says, now as a church... Uh, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, wives, uh, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she 
the wife see that she respects her husband. Now listen, just two quick principles. Well, they're, they're, you know, quick, I mean quick in preacher talk. Uh, <laughs> so two quick principles because we know this, right? Those of you that have been married, and listen, let me tell you something. Those that you, you are single and you think, you know what, this message does not apply to me. Listen, let me tell you something. This, this message may apply to you more than it does to those that are married. Listen, don't compromise. And let me just tell you, just, just real quickly, then we'll look at this. I know these standards are high, and I get that. Listen, single ladies, let me just tell you. There are a lot of good Christian boys out there. But there's very few godly men. There's a difference. Man, there are a lot of good Christian boys out there that claim to know God and all this other stuff and believe in Him and follow Him. But I'm just telling you, there's very few godly men, and there is a difference. Don't allow loneliness to drive you to the point to you spend a lifetime lonely being married. Or being married to a man that will teach your children everything about this world except for Christ and except, except about Jesus. Man, I get that. The stakes are high. But God can provide and God will do for you if you'll just submit to him. And I'm telling you, he'll bless your socks off. So just two principles, two principles this morning. The first one is this, is, is, is this, is it takes God to be a wife the way God intended a wife to be. I mean, when you start looking at these scriptures, you realize that it takes God in marriage. It takes God to be a wife the way God intended a wife to be. Now, listen, this is the greatest group, the longest group of scripture speaking to a husband and a wife. So here's the interesting thing. There's only three verses to the women. There's seven verses to men. Now, the, uh, my wife can explain that really easily. She said, well, of course, God even knows that you've got to say, say it twice to a man before he listens. And so, uh, so there's other theological reasons for that, and we'll get to that, but that's my wife's belief. And so verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so there's this mutual submission, right? Submission can only really happen between equals. When you look at this word submit, it is in the middle voice in the Greek, and the middle voice in the Greek is this, that it's voluntary. In other words, it's something that you voluntarily do. You voluntarily submit. You voluntarily obey him and follow him. Follow him. And so here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, just hear me, Paul is saying men and women are equal. Men are equal to women. Women are equal to men. This is not the same as sameness. This, is, this really is talking about <clears throat> excuse me, the different roles or the different job descriptions in marriage. And so when we get to this issue of submission, there's all of these bad thoughts. There's all of these false beliefs that are out there. I mean, I, th I remember a joke about, about these, these guys, they were a foursome, and they were on a tee box, and they were about ready to tee off, and, and so the group in front of them were playing slow, so they had some time on the tee box, and so, and so one guy decided he'd impress his buddies. So he looks at his buddies and says, men, I just need to let you know, I run my household. I tell my wife how it is, and that's how it is. Fact is, you're not going to believe this. Last night, my wife came crawling to me on her hands and knees. And the guys were like shocked, and they says, really, what did she say? Well, she said this, come out from under that bed and fight like a man. And so, <laughs> that is not the submission that we are talking about. 
God talks about roles, listen, not because of inferiority, not because one is smarter than the other, not because one is more uh, is greater than the other. He is talking about harmony and structure for the sake of an organization. Submission, listen, I'm telling you, submission can only truly happen where there's trust, where there's respect, uh, where there's where there's uh, we're, we're, there, there's equals, and he does this for organization and for harmony in the home. Listen, in every organization, all the way through Scripture, in, in our world, there is organization. There is a designated leader. Just because a person is a leader doesn't mean they're the smartest one in the organization. You guys know that, right? Man, okay, you've gone to like your boss, or you've gone to someone else. But in every organization, there has to be a leader. And so this word submission means to arrange under. It means to get in line with. It means to be one. So God is asking the woman to arrange herself under, to get in line with the direction and the organization, the home. And here's the interesting thing. When you start looking at these scriptures, God begins, God addresses the wife in her weakness. And God addresses the man, the husband, in his weakness. Just as we looked at this a little bit last week, just as the husband is, is weak in, in what area? We looked at that. He's weak in the area of love and nurturing and care. And God speaks to the husband in his area of weakness. And so this is how you'll lead. And the woman, her weakness or her, her bent is weak in following or coming in line with. Why? So there's a dependency on God. If he called you out of your strengths, you wouldn't even need him in marriage. It's so interesting to me that he's calling them to their area of weakness. He's calling them to change their bent. I mean, we know this, right? If you follow your bent, it always leads to destruction in the same way as in the, in the home. And so he's asking them... So here, here's, here's the, the wife, here's the woman's bent. Let's just look at this. So we, so we kind of get this and so we understand where the struggle is. In, in Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, so God is talking to Adam and Eve as part of the curse, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in your pain you shall bring forth children. And then so here we go, here's her bent. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So, okay, so in the Hebrew, when you look at this word desire, your desire in the Hebrew, how it's used other places in Scripture. I wished we had time this morning. I could, I could start walking through all the other places in Scripture, and you could see this. You could see it play out. So here's what, here's what he's saying to Eve. Here's what he's saying to the woman, that your desire will be for your husband. He is not talking about a sexual desire. He is not talking there about a, a desire to have children. You know what he's talking about? In the, in the Hebrew, it means this. Your desire will be to control your husband. Your desire, your flesh, your bent will be to control your husband, will be to rule over your husband. That is your natural bent. And he speaks to the wife in her weakness. He speaks to the wife in her bent. And he says, but you're going to have to humble yourself because it takes God to be a wife the way that a wife, God intended a wife to be. You're going to have to humble yourself because that's not your natural desire. And so a lot of ladies say, well, okay, so, so I, I kind of get that because, I, I, I mean, I understand that. I get real nervous and I want to control and, and critique and, criti- and all this other stuff. But what if I want to change my husband? 
I mean, what if there's some things? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at this in 1 Peter 3, 1. Uh, here we go. Uh, so, Karen, when, when we were, at, when we were in, in our church in Houston, Marge Caldwell, and you may have heard her name when you've read some of Beth Moore's book or you know anything about Beth Moore, Marge Caldwell was the one that mentored Beth. And Beth and Marge were in our church in, in Houston before Beth was Beth. And, uh, and Marge was, Karen was in Marge Caldwell's, and at that time she had been married 50-something years, and, and uh, she just had a lot of wisdom, and she mentored just a lot of ladies. And so the question came up about submission, and the question came up about how do you, you change your husband. So, so Marge used a couple of verses, and so First uh, Peter 3, 1, and unfortunately I know this works. Uh, I mean that in a good way. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Okay, so that's really important. Okay, so it's, you're subject to who? Not every man in the world. You're subject to who? Your husband. It's very personal. You're subject to your own husband so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won over how? How will you change them? How do you win them over? Without a word, but by the conduct of their wives. And so... Marge began teaching this principle. says, ladies, and you don't change your husband by nagging and complaining and criticizing and, and all of those other things, leaving scripture like all over the house, pasted on, you know, bathroom mirrors and, you know, dashboards of cars, rearview mirrors, all of that stuff. I mean, you know some of you have done that. And so you simply, you simply tell God on them and get out of the way. I mean, you... We, we talk about prayer. And Marge is saying, you want, to, you want to change your husband? Man, you learn. Take it to God. Man, I'm telling you, when you come under the authority that God has placed over you, whether it's in government, whether it's in the job, whether it's in marriage, the home, and I'm telling you, when you come under the authority that God has placed over you, God will bless you. Here's another verse, 1 Peter 5, 6. He says, humble yourselves. That word humble means to what? Bow down. And that's all that word means. It means to bow down. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he will what? He will exalt you. In other words, what, what, what the word is saying is, is that if you will get out of the way, that if you don't get out of the way, God has to deal with you and your husband. But if you will get out of the way, God will deal with your husband. I think the way Marge Caldwell put it to the ladies that day, was more like this. Ladies, you need to bow down so your husband can, uh, so God can hit your husband. <laughs> and she says, you take it to him. Verse 24 says this. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, let me just be really clear here. Because of some male chauvinist pigs... In our society, submit is grossly misunderstood. A male chauvinist pig will tell you, or read this, and say, women are inferior to men. Women are not as smart as men. Women are not as good as men. And all men are superior to women. And as a result, all women need to bow down to all men. It's not what the scripture says. Scripture says this, wives, you are only subject to your husband. Submission can only happen in an area of 
equals. Where there's respect and where there's love. I mean, there are some women in the professional world <laughs> that they are excelling in their various fields. I mean, I mean you, know what you, you know what you call a woman that can do the job of five men? Lazy. <laughs> I mean, there are some. Do you, you realize studies show that women are better at multitasking than men? I mean, just, just leave your husband in charge of the house for a day. And what Paul is talking about, he's not saying one is inferior to the other, one is better than the other, or any, one is smarter, any of that. What he's saying, there's roles and there's job descriptions. And, and so he says, and so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. What does. Man, what does everything mean? Because again, a, a male chauvinist pig will tell you it means everything I say. They are asking you to do anything immoral against Scripture that degrades you, that is illegal, then you do not have to submit. And the Scripture is clear about that. So the Bible tells us, and we've looked, that it takes God to be a wife the way God intended a wife to be. Most of the scripture I told you was to the men. And ladies, uh, if you think submission is hard, just listen to the job description of the husband. Because the second principle is this. It takes God to be a husband the way God intended a husband to be. And so really, that's, that's where the rest of this is going. So just four things about, about how husbands are to, to love their wives because the job description for the wife is submission, but the job description for the husband is love. He's speaking to each partner in their area of weakness. So husbands, you're to li- love your wife with a sacrificial love. This is the deepest kind of love. This is the deepest form of love. Uh, verse 25, husbands, here's the command. Love your wives. This is an imperative. This is a command. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he, uh, it is hard, but, and he gave himself up for her. So Jesus died for the church. Jesus bled for the church. Jesus sacrificed for the church. Jesus loved the local church even when the local church didn't love him back. Jesus loved the, 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 the church there in Corinth, and the church is a mess, and it's a wreck, and it's doing some horrible... And Jesus still loved the church. Jesus forgave the church. Jesus loved the church whether they loved him back or not. Jesus uh, uh, died for the church. He bled for the church. He loved the church regardless of how they treated he had this He had this sacrificial love that wasn't dependent upon how they loved him. It was the deepest form of all kinds of love. If, if, you, if you read history, and I, and, and I like some things about history, and, and there was Cyrus, he was a king of Persia. And he had an officer that, that served under him as king. And the officer's wife uh, had been found guilty of conspiracy. And, and that was punishable by death. So they called the officer's wife in before the throne, and so they had like this trial that was going on. And the officer's wife was been, had been found guilty, and she had just been um, sentenced to a, a death sentence. She was going to be put to death. And so word got back to the officer what was going down in the throne room that his wife was in there. She had just been found guilty of treason, and she was going to be put to death. 
And so this officer ignored all rules and regulations, all protocol and all professionalism, and he broke into the throne room, went past everyone, went before the king, and he's like screaming. He's like, do not kill her. Do not put her to death. Kill me instead. Take my life instead, please. And he started begging the king for her life on his behalf. And everybody was amazed about this love. And so the king looked at the, looked at the officer and says, You know what? Your love that you have for your wife, your love that you have for one another, is so moving that I cannot disrupt this type of love. So I'm going to pardon your wife. And so the officer went out with his wife, arm in arm, who had just been pardoned. And as they're walking out, the officer looked over at his wife and said, Can you believe how the king looked at us and our love? And the wife said, I didn't even notice. I only had eyes for the one who was willing to lay down his life for me. Husbands, we're to have a sacrificial love. Because, see, here's what I really believe. That if we led with these four principles, it would be no big deal for a woman to fall in line with us, to follow us. There's a husband that was always telling his wife that, you know, I'd take a bullet for you, baby, and I'd die for you, and, you know, and I'd, I'd sacrifice for you till, till all of a sudden she just turned to him and said, hey, you know, while you're waiting to die for me, how about cleaning out the garage? <laughs> and you know what? If you have a sacrificial love for your wife, then cleaning out the garage and taking the, taking the trash out is no big deal. Second type of love that we should have, what the Scripture says, is we should have a dedicated love. Verse 26 says that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor. So here we go. Here's just a couple of things, and it's so interesting that he would bring these up. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she may be holy and without blemish. So the scripture says that so that she may be without spot or or wrinkle. So spot, when you look at the church, is things that happened on the outside of the church that would hurt the integrity of the church, hurt the reputation of the church, And so we know in Scripture that Jesus protected the church, right? Jesus says that I will build my church in the gates of Hades. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus protected the church. Jesus protected the doctrine of the church. He protected the reputation of the church. He he protected the integrity of the church. And so this issue, when he says free of any spot or free without spot, what he's talking is this protection type of love that Jesus had for the church of anything from the outside coming in. This word wrinkle represented the things that would happen inside the church. 
that Jesus says, I will protect my church from things that happen outside the reputation, the movement, and all of that other stuff, but I will also protect my church from the wrinkle, and the wrinkle was this, the things that happen inside the church, false doctrine, gossip, slander, division, judgmental, uh, people that are, are, are judgmental, that he says that I will protect the church from division. So how does this work in marriage? The same way that the husband is supposed to be involved in the home like he is in his professional life, that he is supposed to be the initiator in relationships to help make his wife holy and blameless, blameless, free of any spot or wrinkle. In other words, taking care of her spiritual needs. That's why it's so important. Husbands, the word says to wash, uh, wash the washing of the word. That's why you have to know the word. That's why you life journal. That's why you study the word so you can speak a word into your, your wife's life and you can lead her spiritually. In other words, what he's saying, you take care of her spiritual needs because a wife is, is tender and, and wants to be nurtured and loved and encouraged. And, but there's also a danger. But because of the way that she has been wired, because she's loving, because she's caring, because she wants to nurture, people on the outside can take advantage of her. And the husband is to protect the wife from things that would come outside of the family, of someone that would want to take advantage of her, of someone that would want to use her of someone that would want to repeatedly over and over hurt her to where the husband is not supposed to sit back and ignore it and say, let me know how it comes out. That the husband is supposed to be the protector. And he's supposed to be the initiator. The husband is to protect her from hurtful situations. Listen, we all have blind spots. And we need someone that's able to speak into those. And then the wrinkle is something that would happen inside the family. Listen, women carry things differently than men. That is the way they were wired. It's not wrong. It is the way they were wired. Listen, women, moms will carry hurt from children differently than will the husband will. They will take it personally. By nature, they will kind of own more than theirs is to own sometimes because of the actions of their kids as they grow. And husbands, you are to protect your wife from things that come from outside of the family and things that happen inside of the family. You're not supposed to be an absentee dad in the home. You're willing to take up for your wife. You're willing to defend her. You're willing to get involved in situation. You take that initiative. And I'm telling you, I'm only doing three services this weekend, and uh, Pastor Justin is taking notes, and he's going to preach the last service. I, um, I've told a little bit about my family and, uh, and back in Texas and just... Um, Dysfunctional. We, we, we put the dis in dysfunctional, all caps. And uh, I had an uncle that, that passed away, and we found out about it last night, and uh, Saturday, yeah, Saturday day. And, and so I'm flying, leaving, preaching two services, and going to Denver. And, and, going, and my family has been destroyed because of gossip and slander 
and years of hurt and pain to where this funeral is just going to be a dysfunctional mess. But my uncle, man, he just meant a lot to me. And uh, I don't even know if I'm really invited, but I'm going. And I'm going to pay my respects. And he's a deacon for many years and two churches. And, 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 uh, and I just wonder, what would have happened if the husbands had protected the family? And it says, this isn't happening anymore. And they had taken the initiative. And they had protected the family from the hurt from outside and the inside. And man, I get it. I make decisions all day long. And by the time I get home, the last thing I want to do is make another decision. But our families need us. A biblical form of marriage is not honey let me know how it turns out. I'm behind you, way behind, but I'm behind you. A biblical form of marriage is a dedicated love to where you get involved. And Ephesians says, but be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and and that means there, there, sometimes there has to be conversations. See, being in submission is not that you don't have a say and you can't speak into something. I mean, a true leader will tell you, a, a strong leader will tell you, they listen to everybody. But when the decision is made, they all line up one, under each other. See, it's a dangerous thing in marriage when love grows cold and hearts become hard to where you just live as roommates. You know, the Bible says there's, there's really one reason for divorce. It's what Jesus said. Your hearts became hard. It's interesting in marriage, once you have romance, you never believe it a fade. And once you lose romance, you never believe you can regain it. And both of those are a false belief. This type of love that Paul, I'm telling you, what gets all the press is submission, but if you think submission is hard, First Peter says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, learn to understand them. Showing honor to, to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you to the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, do you realize that it can hurt your prayers, hinder your prayers? I'm telling you when, you, when you come under the authority that Christ has put over you, God will bless you. Do you realize what Scripture says? Paul said it. Simon Peter said it in this passage. You are more than in relationship than husband and wife. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. Treat each other differently. 
It's a caring love is the third one. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Why? Because here we go. Because we're members of one body. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, men, to where we learn to lavish our wives with compliments. Tell them how much we love them and care about them. And Does your wife know how much you appreciate her? When was the last time you complimented her? It says that we listen to him. Galatians 6.2 says that we bear one another's burdens so to fulfill the law of Christ. And so, so, so men, he didn't say we solve each other's burdens. Here's a crazy deal. Jesus didn't solve all the disciples' burdens. He didn't solve all their problems. He encouraged them. He listened to them. He prayed for them. He gave them some advice. And I know this is a weird deal for us when our wives have a problem, when they have some hurt, that we feel like is men because of the way God wired us, that, well, we need to solve it, we need to fix it. But the Scripture says that, that we just were to bear one another's burdens. You know what that means? That means come up under, undergird another, walk with another, bear the weight that another one is carrying. That's what that verse means. That's what that verse is talking about. And so, men, I know it's difficult for us to get, and I get it because I've struggled with this for years, but when your wife is talking to you about a hurt or a pain or a problem and she's telling you what the weather was like and the sun was out and the birds were singing and the chirping and the car she was driving, what she was wearing, what her girlfriend was wearing, the restaurant that they were at, you know, what they had ordered, if the food was good, the service was good, all of this other stuff, and you're going, what about the facts? What is the point? Listen, just let her talk. Okay? And then when she winds down, man, I'm going to tell you something that you can tell her, and counselors will charge you a lot of money for this, and I'm going to tell you for free. When she winds down, you look at her and you say, Honey, tell me more. (laughs) And you know, you do that the first time, you may have to pick her up off the floor. You say, Honey, just tell me more. And then she'll say some other stuff. And so, and so then maybe and then she's telling you, you know, how badly they treated her and how badly she's hurt. And she'll never go back and talk to them ever again. If she goes to a party, they're there. She'll leave or, or she'll give them a piece of her mind or all that other stuff. And so now you start going through that process, right? And so then at that point, you could ask a few questions like, well, they treated you badly. Yeah, or they, they hurt you. Yeah, you'll never go back there because you're still not in problem-solving mode. Until she comes to the point that she looks at you and says, what do you think I should do? See, advice given without us asking for it will always come across as criticism. I mean, there are some people, they think they're a running commentary on your life. And it will always come across as criticism. And then when she looks at you and says, what do you think I should do? That's your moment to shine. And it will not come across as criticism because she's asking you what she should do. This is your strength. I mean, Karen has gotten so accustomed to this, my wife, and uh, to where the other night she was talking to me about something she's going through. And so she's telling me, and I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm wondering when I'm going to say, honey, tell me more, and that whole deal. She looks at me and she says, 
I am not asking you just to listen tonight. Go ahead and tell me what to do now. So, anyway. Don't know why I felt led in sharing that. Last one is this. It is a complete love. Verse 31. Here we go. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become relationally we do not become one flesh overnight. Relationally is a process. As we learn to trust and respect and love. And I really believe this is the hardest time in the history to have a godly marriage. Because marriage no longer matters like it once did. People value living together as much as marriage. People, people don't value marriage like they once did. They, they just don't mar- value marriage like they once did. And the scripture says that you should hold fast to your wife. That, that word hold fast in, in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to be glued together. Uh, Bill Vickers in our church is just a great cabinet maker. And, and uh, Bill Vickers can take two pieces of wood and he can glue them together in such a way that, that when, you, when you see the wood that it no longer looks like two boards. It looks like one. You can't see the joint. You can't see where they're joined. I mean, it's unbelievable. that. And so this word was used for a woodworker of their day that could take a board that could glue two pieces of wood together to where two become one. Here's the crazy thing in the, in the Hebrew. There's a word for nailed together. You know the crazy thing when you nail something together? They still look like two. The other thing, you can pull them apart. And both pieces stay intact. But when two are joined together or glued together, you can rip them apart. But both pieces are never the same. They carry that relationship with them one shape form or another the rest of their life and Paul said two are joined together as one and they are glued together marriage matters